2: The Cut. The
0: Cut. The Cut. The Cut. The Cut. The Cut. So, I have this friend, Stephanie Fu. She's also a California transplant. We met when we both worked at this show called Snap Judgment in Oakland. She moved to New York to work as a producer at This American Life, and I followed a couple years later to work at the New York Times. So when I'm feeling homesick and out of touch, I call her up and we commiserate. But (laughs) a lot of the time we're just petty. I think you were the first person I texted when I first moved to New York and I went grocery shopping and they gave me like 15 plastic bags for like (laughs) maybe four items. I was just like, this
2: is ridiculous. Yeah, seriously. It's one of my biggest pet peeves. (laughs) Like they use so many plastic bags and we're like, I don't need a plastic bag for my Coke, dude. It's not always petty. And sometimes we do
0: talk about the bigger things that bother us, the culture divide and the New York City hustle mentality that started out so exciting, but quickly ground us down.
2: So we actually worked in the same office in Oakland, and I always felt like I was the hardest worker there. You definitely were. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. And then I moved to New York, and I was like, oh no, literally everyone here is also staying until 10 p.m. every night.
0: Yeah, it's a whole culture here. You know, you you could stand out with that stuff in California, but here it's, like, the standard.
2: And then you feel pressured to work even harder because you see everybody else doing it.
0: Yeah, because, like, how could you be the Hermione of the group if everybody else is doing it at the same time? It's
2: <laughs> I know. All of a sudden, you're fucking Ron. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We both worked a lot in California. But at least there we could relax a little bit, you know, recharge sometimes. Okay, so where were your favorite places to recharge?
2: I mean, obviously the Redwood Forest. My favorite favorite is the drive down the one between San Francisco and Santa Cruz, where it's all down the coast, these incredible bluffs, and the ocean is beating up against these cliffs full of succulents. And I also love to go to my friend's parents' house in Santa Cruz which is full of um, citrus and avocado orchards. What about you?
0: I mean, I grew up in Santa Cruz, so it's always going to be the beach, hands down. Start to finish, just a walk along the cliffs of the beach is the way to go for me. Yeah, I mean, it's just like a way of life. I don't know, there's just something really calming about it. And like, not to be a California exceptionalist, but, you know... When I talk to East Coast people and they tell me about, like, going to see nature, they're always talking about, like, Vermont or, like, upstate, you know, like, places you have to go to, you know? You have to, like, get in the car and do all these things to get to it. But, like, in California, it's like, I can just look out my window. It was just there. It's everywhere. It's, like, it's part of life. You know, it's not as compartmentalized.
2: I didn't realize it until I left, but I felt like nature was this grounding force that always reminded me of who I was and what was important and not having that was a huge problem for me. Like from the moment I moved to New York, the separation from nature, first of all, made me super depressed. I couldn't see any nature, just like a small patch of sky in between skyscrapers. And so I just kind of made my peace with that and instead spent all my time grinding in this miserable little windowless office.
0: I remember that office.
2: Yeah. It was not it was
0: not cute, right? Mm, yeah, it was a little depressing. I'm not gonna <laughs> lie. It was a little depressing.
2: And that had its consequences. Cause in 2018, I remember after two years of reporting on the Trump news cycle, all of that came to a head. Like I had a nervous breakdown. Part of that was because I had lost all hope for the future. Like global warming, racism. All of it, I just felt totally helpless, and I started crying every day on my way to work because I felt like I didn't know how to mourn so much destruction and loss and sadness. And I was completely burned out, and I'd just been diagnosed with complex PTSD, so...
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. let's just throw that on top right there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah,
2: yeah, Uh. it was a horrible time. It was a fucking lot. And so I kind of lost my mind and I quit my job.
0: Yeah, it's it's not a good place to be. Yeah. But you did find some way out of that, didn't you?
2: Yeah, I wanted to get back to nature, like to my original form of grounding in therapy. But I couldn't just move back to California because I married a New Yorker. I'm part of <laughs> a New York family now, like it's a whole thing. And so <laughs> I realized I needed to connect with the sparse nature in New York in any way that I could. Even if it was like crappy and small, I-, I needed to somehow have some sort of relationship with it.
0: I could just picture you like around one of those little like tree beds on the sidewalk, just like sitting there looking. at.
2: <laughs> you are not mm-hmm. that far off. I mean, that is pretty much exactly it. So I was like fun employed. And so I started just walking around bed and I would be looking at these little tree beds and in cracks between the sidewalk and just looking at little weeds and flowers poking up and just focusing on them. And I got this plant identification app called Picture This. And I started finding out the names of everything. Can
0: I stop you here really quick? Mm-hmm. Not to be an asshole, but like, why? <laughs> why did you want to know the names of these? Like, what what did it do for you to know what these things were called?
2: Like, when you actually get to know the names of things, they become more of actual individuals within a community because you've invested in it. You could just be like, okay, that's my old neighbor with, like, the curly hair. Or you could be like, that's Jake. And once it becomes Jake, it's humanized. It's deeper. It's more emotional. You have this connection to it. Like, it really made me feel like we were more of a community that I wasn't separate from these plants that I loved. When I realized that... Historically, so many of these plants that I was seeing have been what have healed generations of humans, that we have relied on them, that they are helpful to us. In spring, in Prospect Park, for example, everywhere you look, you can see wild garlic. It's everywhere. And it's delicious.
0: So I could just like pull it out of the ground and then like put it in a pot and just grow my own garlic, like right now, just chillin'.
2: Yeah. It's, I mean, it's more, wild garlic is more like chives, but yeah, I would just yank it all up and chop it all up and put it in an omelet or a stir fry or whatever it is. Every spring I do this now. And it's one of the first things that comes up. Everything's all like miserable. And in like February or March, you know, you're tired of the winter. It's lasted forever. And all of a sudden you can just yank up something that's really green and fresh and vibrant and pungent. And it kind of makes things a little bit better. So around this time, I started reading this incredible book by the Native American botanist, Robin Wall Kimmer, called Braiding Sweetgrass. And she writes a lot about reciprocity. And I realized that it wasn't just enough for me to just take, like I was taking blackberries and mushrooms and I wasn't giving anything back. I was just consuming. And she wrote, we have to put our hands in the earth to make ourselves whole again. Even a wounded world is feeding us. Even a wounded world holds us, giving us moments of wonder and joy. I choose joy over despair, not because I have my head in the sand, but because joy is what the earth gives me daily, and I must return the gift. And so I was like, yeah, all right, I'm going to return the gift. And so I decided I wanted to thank the earth by doing more weeding. And I started reading about invasive plants in New York, and New York is just absolutely besieged (laughs) by invasive plants. I mean, it's a city of immigrants, (laughs) and all of us immigrants, we all brought our own crap along with us that is killing the native plants here. So that's what any good neighbor would do. You make a mess in in, in your shared backyard or whatever, clean it up. So
0: you just, like, walked into the park and started pulling shit out of the ground?
2: (laughs) Yeah. And no one stopped you.
0: You were just a person. Like, for some reason, I have this idea that, like, parks are, like, you can't fuck with parks. They have to be maintained by officials.
2: I mean, some, like, random old Asian ladies doing their morning walks would come up to me and be like, what are you doing? And I was like, I'm not sure. (laughs) And uh, I tried to pull English ivy off of some trees. And... And I knew that English ivy could actually kill trees. So I started pulling it down with my bare hands, not knowing that it's covered in these irritating oils. And I got a rash on my hands. Oh, no. And then I just realized, like, I think I need a nature sensei to help me (laughs) with this. So I got in touch with the Forest Park Trust. And I just asked them, can you guys sort of teach me how to help you And they introduced me to the Super Steward Program, which is this (laughs) New York City Parks Department program that basically trains people to save our city's youngest and most vulnerable trees. So everything from street trees to trees in the parks and forests and wetlands. And they gave me all of this botany training. And they gave me this little certificate where I can work in the city under an official capacity and nobody can bother me.
0: Certified steward
2: certified <laughs> steward exactly <laughs> so when i was paired up with my first gardener sensei irena she gave me some pretty backbreaking work to do right off of the bat which was pulling up porcelain berry which is this brutal invasive vine that pulls down and kills young trees and it is a huge ass pain to get the roots out of the ground <laughs> for this goddamn plant So I was getting disgustingly sweaty in March, like just trying to like heave it up out of the ground. But also I made this giant pile of it and I felt really good about myself, like saving all these little baby trees. I was like, there you go, little baby tree. You're welcome. I saved your life. There's something very
0: satisfying about working really hard in dirt. Did you ever do science camp?
2: Of course I did. Banana slug, 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 slug. I don't know if you guys sang that song, but we did.
0: Because like one of my first stories in science camp was we were walking with all the girls in my cabin and they were getting really weirded out about getting dirty. And the camp counselor got very frustrated with that and was like, this is the cleanest dirt that you will ever find. Mm-hmm. And to make a point, he forced all of us to put a little bit of dirt somewhere on our body. <laughs> <laughs> so I picked up I like cupped my hands and like picked up the biggest scoop of dirt mud that I could possibly find. And I like splashed it on my face as if I was washing my face with mud.
2: (laughs) Of course you did. That is so you. That is like 1000% you. (laughs) It
0: absolutely
2: is. I
0: want that for adults,
2: you know? Yes. Basically, super steward training is fully science camp for adults in New York City. That's what it is. Like three hours of science camp. That's how they need to rebrand. Honestly, Super Steward is not the greatest name. (laughs) I think that they could do a lot better with that. What would you call it? Like plant heroes or something, you know? (laughs) Plant friends. (laughs) Plant moms and dads.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Plant parenthood.
2: Oh, my God. Plant 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 parenthood. Parenthood. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) Oh, my God. There we go.
0: That's it. Ship it. (laughs) Okay, so again, not to be an asshole, but you were basically pulling weeds. Yeah. But you had this like transformation of soul. So like what what's the what's the juice there?
2: Well, one thing I was really surprised by was like falling in love with New York all over again. I really achieved the goal that I set out to achieve, which was loving New York as a home rather than just a place I was living. Mm. One thing that was actually really shocking was going back to California and I actually didn't like I really didn't know the <laughs> the plants there nearly as well now as I know the plants in New York and feeling like oh my god I I miss you know oh you miss New York I missed my plants <laughs> and um I I felt like I really bonded and uh, I know this will sound crazy to most New Yorkers but I really feel like I have a relationship with a lot of these plants now, I feel like they rely on me, and these trees are going to outlive me. It really is like I'm building a legacy for the future. You know, it it feels good.
0: You know, you started this whole thing, sort of in this like because of this this tension and and this disconnection from New York and this anxiety about climate change and just the world at large. Like, why does such a micro scale thing? make you feel better. You must know on some level that this isn't this is a, a grain of sand.
2: I don't know. It does. It I guess it is a drop, but it feels significant to me because each tree in New York City is really significant actually. <laughs> I can see the impact that I have. You know, mm-hmm. when you're out there and you can see the trees that you've supported growing. One London plane tree near me intercepts 6100 gallons of storm water which keeps things from flooding. And, and it removes four pounds of pollutants and 10,500 tons of carbon dioxide from the air each year. So the trees that we save are significant in terms of keeping the air that we breathe clean and in keeping our ecosystem balanced. You know, if whatever, a thousand other people in New York City were doing what I was doing, there would be real significant change.
0: Okay, so it sounds like you've been able to like at least find some measure of
2: peace doing this stuff.
0: And I kind of I kind of yearn for that. Like I haven't been able to find that here. And
2: what's stopping you? Why haven't you gone into nature here?
0: I don't know. I guess you have to make time to go into that and that's just not something that I think about actively like that. Like when it's not in front of your face, you don't really think about it until you realize that you're craving something, like you can feel missing. It's like a phantom limb or something.
2: Yeah, exactly. There is such a culture here of hustle. And when you're done hustling, just like party, hustle, party, hustle, party. Work hard, play hard. Maybe make some time to eat something. In New York, you have to make a real intention decision. To go to a green space and engage with it, Mm. right? Yeah. Like it's hard. And a lot of times you do have to realign your life in order to make space for that. And I completely sympathize with you. It's not easy to do. So I'm kind of useless between the hours of nine and 11 anyway. Like even when I went to the office, I never really did much during those hours anyway. So (laughs) (laughs) really early in the morning, like eight in the morning, I'll go out there and I'll take some vines off of trees for a couple of hours before I start work.
0: That actually sounds really nice because you know how they say you should work out before you do anything else with your day because you'll feel like charged and energetic? Like, I wonder if that's the same. Like, you go out there, you spend some time in nature, you, you break a sweat, you know, or, or not. You know, you just spend some time there and then you're like grounded. Turn your brain off, put your hands in the soil, and then your brain will be relaxed enough that when you get back you can actually do better work.
2: Right. Or not even think about it in relation to work at all. Yeah. That's better. (laughs) I mean, yeah. 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 It's a good way to start your day off right.
0: I wonder if that means that I should just, maybe I should just go with you. (laughs) Should I just go to Prospect Park (laughs) and like pull some weeds with you?
2: Oh, absolutely. You should come with me. I've been thinking of like getting a whole crew together or just like, having just going out and inviting people to do it with me every weekend yeah
0: I just look over at you and I wonder like if this is the better way of being if this is like what's gonna save everyone's mental health you
2: know (laughs) I want to be like oh no there's many different ways to live a life but I also want to be like full propaganda mode yes it is (laughs) (laughs) so am I convincing you to come out with me one day
0: Yeah, I would actually, I would really love to do that.
2: Yeah. I didn't end up going,
0: but I have a good reason. I got COVID. Don't worry about me. I'm okay. Instead, Stephanie found someone to talk about nature with that's a million times better than me. That's after the break.
1: Embracing nature is more than just going for a walk now and then, it's reconnecting with the elements, it's harnessing the power of natural ingredients it's putting the earth first. For over 50 years, Nature's Sunshine has been sharing the healing power of nature as they work towards a healthier planet. Their manufacturing facility is 100% powered by sunlight and they divert 95% of waste away from landfills. If you're looking for a sustainably made herbal supplement, you might wanna check out Nature's Sunshine and their new power line. Power Beats are a superfood performance booster that can help enhance both performance and blood flow. And Power Meal is a satisfying protein-packed superfood shake that comes in sustainable packaging made with nearly 40% post-consumer recycled plastics. Now that's something you can feel good about. This Earth Month, you can enjoy 25% off your first order with code NSP. Just go to naturesunshine.com. That's naturesunshine.com and use code NSP for 25% off your first order.
2: I am not the only person who has found nature to be great for my mental health. This is far from a new idea. In fact, I learned that there's an actual job that helps people find solace in nature. This is Margaret Ritchie, and she's a horticultural therapist. A big part of her job is reducing stress in her clients by teaching them to garden. And she says in some ways, the dirt itself does a lot of that work for her.
0: There's a bacteria in the soil that when you work with it and you breathe it in, it actually positively affects your, your mental state. Similar
2: to Prozac, it's been compared.
3: Wow.
2: Yeah, Mycobacteria vaccae. From so like eating it, from smelling it? From smelling it, just from smelling it.
1: Wow.
2: Maggie also told me about a bunch of studies that have shown that going into nature reduces cortisol levels, heart rates, blood pressure. People heal faster when they have a picture of the outdoors in their hospital rooms. So, easiest job ever, Right. You'd think so, until you keep in mind the populations Maggie works with. She's worked at a school for at-risk kids, struggling to graduate. She's worked at Rikers Island, a jail so infamously violent that New York City is closing it. And now Maggie works at Mercy Home, which provides services for people with developmental and intellectual disabilities. Historically, institutions for people with developmental disabilities have not been very joyful places. Not that different from prisons, actually. One of the most inhumane things about these institutions' designs was that they were often built far away from urban areas. The reasoning was that fresh air would be good for residents, but instead, residents just became isolated from their communities. And this separation also stigmatized people with developmental disabilities, made them seem freakish or shameful, separate from society, and, as eugenicists said, even a burden to it these belief systems justified horrible practices like sterilizing thousands of residents without their consent. Some of those stereotypes and stigmas have stuck around, even if treatments have now improved. In contrast, today, Mercy Home exists in 12 warm houses all across Brooklyn and Queens. I went to one home in South Brooklyn to talk to an avid gardener who, for the sake of this piece, wants to be called Angel.
3: Those are the carrots. Yay! Very good,
2: yeah? yeah I saw one. <laughs> yeah? Oh,
3: yeah. Well, I'm
2: Angel's 31, has long braids, trendy glasses, and an omnipresent smile. She lives in a little two-story on a quiet block that looks no different than the other houses around it. She lives with three other women with developmental and intellectual disabilities. There's a sweet photo in the entryway, with all four of them wearing matching brown sweaters two around-the-clock caretakers help them out. Angel's lived here for three years and loves to grow vegetables with Maggie.
3: I saw the beets are Ooh, I can smell the cilantro. Yep. Yeah. The
2: cilantro. Before she came here, Angel lived with her mother, who helped care for her because Angel had a really hard time completing simple tasks.
3: I was frustrated all the time. She used to be like, clean your room, doing it. I'm like, ma, it's hard for me to She said, no, try. When she goes to work, I try, try, and I would get frustrated, and I would... Like throwing my clothes, I'm like I can't do it. I'm I'm just done. She comes home, sees everything thrown around. She's like, why everything is thrown? I'm like, cause I can't do it and it's frustrating and it's getting me mad and it gets me emotional sometimes. Because when I used to live with my mom, I used to depend on her too much and I still do. I feel like I still want to
2: do that, but it's not gonna work. Mm-hmm. It's not going to. So Angel moved here, where she gets full-time assistance but she is encouraged to learn to do more things on her own. Learning to put a fitted sheet on by herself was a big step for her, learning to clean her room, and also learning to garden with Maggie.
3: When I first met Maggie, I said, when I saw her do the garden back here, I said, this is really going to be hard. I said, it's going to be hard planting, going to be hard shoveling,
2: going to be hard doing everything. And she was like, just put your mind to it. You can do it. Maggie taught her to weed and plant, they grew peas, scotch bonnets, tomatoes, basil. And I did it. And from this, from this day on, every time
3: she comes here, I come out here and I help her do things a lot. Because when I tried, I mastered things that I could never do before. Mm-hmm. It changed me as a person, like I could, I feel capable and more mature, like I could do things kind of on my own instead of depending on other people and my mom. Because if I like, for example, if I get my own like apartment on my own house, I could know how to garden by myself and I could learn how to plant, I could learn how to harvest. Is that like your dream? You're yes. A <laughs> yes, it is, it really is. But it takes baby steps. And it seems like you've made a lot of progress. Yes, I did. Yes, I did. I'm proud of myself that I made a lot of progress.
2: As I talk to her on the patio, Angel is surrounded by food that she's grown. Juicy eggplant, kale, herbs. But the garden is still pretty bare because they just completed a big harvest. They took bags of enormous squash and donated it to a food bank and a center for children.
3: They were like, thank you, I appreciate it because I don't have that much
2: food in the house. I was like, "Anytime." I talked to a couple of residents about what it was like to donate food, and even people like Jay, who is really not that talkative most of the time. I could tell he got really proud when I brought it up.
3: It was wonderful. It was fantastic. It was great.
2: So you are feeding hungry people?
3: Yes, I am. Mm-hmm. Yep.
2: That's pretty, like, powerful. That's pretty great.
3: Yes. 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 Yes.
2: I think being appreciative of the flowers and trees is just half of the joy that nature holds. The other half is being able to share it. Um,
3: How are we feeling today? Good. Good. You're feeling good? Good. Hot, yes, it is hot. This
2: is Maggie giving a group of Mercy Home residents a tour of their local garden.
3: What color is this rose? Pink. 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 Very good, pink. Pink Pink roses are for friendship. Mm -hmm. Pink roses are for friendship. Every rose has
2: its thorns. <laughs> and then she pauses. So
0: hold on a second, guys. I would like it if everybody could just be quiet for a second and just listen.
2: Cool.
0: Oh. You hear that buzzing?
2: Yep.
0: Yeah. That's a cicada. Yep. That's a
2: cicada
0: sound.
2: I feel like there's this idea that in order to let nature heal you, you have to go out into the wild on your own and find yourself like some idealized vision quest. But at the places where Maggie works, plants actually bring people out of their loneliness and into community, which, after this pandemic, sounds pretty good right about now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Stephanie
0: Fu is a writer and radio producer. You can find her article, How I Curbed My Climate Anxiety, on Curbed.com. Her book, What My Bones Know, is a memoir about healing from complex PTSD. It comes out in February. Check out thecut.com slash podcasts for links on how to become a park steward in New York City. This episode was produced by Stephanie Fu and me, Jasmine Aguilera. The Cut podcast is made by me, B.A. Parker, Skylar Swenson, and Nurbusidi. Mixed by Alex Higgins. Edited by Hannah Rosen. Our executive editors are Hannah Rosen and Nishat Kirwa. The Cut podcast is made possible by the team at New York Magazine. Subscribe to support their work at thecut.com/subscribe. I'm Jasmine Aguilera, and thanks for listening. Mhm. Mhm. Okay, now this is the this is the deal breaker question now. Now that you understand and feel more connected to New York nature, do you think it's better than
2: California nature?
0: Do you prefer Mm. it?
2: Personally, no. (laughs) California is the best.
0: (laughs) Yep, yep. California supremacy. California Uber Alice. Yep. (laughs) (laughs)